The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC, brought to you by The Athletic UK. Well, it's been a strange weekend of football, really, all in all, hasn't it? So all the excitement of seeing Fulham finally back in action for the first time in 2022. First time since December 20th, in fact. Like, How long ago does that feel like? So all that excitement was somewhat stifled by what was a very turgid outing at Ashton Gate. We, we got through, we're through to the fourth round. I mean, it was just 7,000 odds in attendance, 715 in the way ends. Thank you very much. But I mean, Fulham looked a very tired side, very out of form, and we needed extra time to eventually dispatch Bristol City. Harry Wilson cross slash shot seeing us beat them 1-0 but it's a win right let's not lose sight of that we're back to winning ways we're into the fourth round we're thinking maybe this is the year that we go on that cup run that we've been hoping for for so long maybe this is the year you know we're, we're, we're top the, we're, we're near the top of the championship we're going to go on this cup run and then the fourth round draws just happened and who do we go and draw Manchester City away in what is quite possibly the most Fulhamish draw you could possibly have plucked out of a hat sort of tumbling all the sort of fainted forced optimism that we had after that win against Bristol City and yeah so Man City away it is my name's George Cooper also known as Fulhamish's Eric Neverland and before you turn off because you realise it's not Sammy or Jack you're going to want to stick around because we've got one hell of a podcast lined up for you we've got all the action from Saturday we've got some superb listener questions taken from Instagram also have a little Reading preview if that's not enough to entice you then I'm also joined by Farrell Monk. Hello, uh, Eric Neverland. I'll be I'll be your David Elm to your to your Eric Neverland. That was one hell of a one hell of an introduction. I think you were just hanging on to that uh, all all weekend and just wanted to get it all out there, like almost like Eric yeah, Neverland would... on the bench for so long and then coming on and scoring a very necessary goal. It was a, a tweet that I saw a few years back when uh, when I was hosting for maybe the, the second or third time. So I said, George Cooper, Fulhamish's Eric Nevelin. I thought I'm going to keep that one in the back pocket. And I, I think there was something written into the athletic contract when we signed it that I, I have to be wheeled out for cup games. So we're, we're fulfilling that end of the bargain. I'm also joined by Jack Kelly. How are you doing, son? I'm all right. Good evening, everyone. Have you dried out from your travels up to the West Country yesterday? Yeah, and I've just come back from Spurs v Morecambe, so I'm, I'm all FA Cupped out for now. Can you be FA Cupped out? I think, I think you probably can, can't you? Yeah, after and that draw. all the way, live from Thailand, we've got Stephen Sheldrake. How are you doing, son? I'm fantastic, George. Good to be with you and our lovely listeners. Good to be back. Fantastic. And uh, what's your current situation in Thailand? I understand that you're, you're currently a few days into, uh, into a hotel quarantine. Yeah, so if you're fully vaccinated, you have to uh, isolate uh, in Thailand for seven days. So um, I've been staring out the window longingly at the sunshine. Uh, it's about 34 degrees. Uh, but it was nice to have 120 minutes of um, non-stop action, shall we say, with the uh, FA Cup draw. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a few people may contest the uh, the non-stop element of that of that. Uh, <laughs> that analysis, but we'll come on to that. But, but before we do the three-word reviews, guys... Fresh from uh, from the studio, we've got the the, the fourth round draws just come in. So I, I mentioned it in the introduction. We've got we've got Manchester City away in the fourth round. I just wanted to get your initial feedback, Farrell. What was your reaction as you saw our ball number get plucked out of the abyss? Well, when I was, I mean, as you're saying, we're going to come on to the three word reviews, and and I'll I will be doing those. So when I was going through them before the cup draw, I was scrolling down, and you know, almost like it was nailed on because uh and i'm hope i hope i'm pronouncing this correctly jez jezon or j-x-e-z-o-n uh had already tweeted from yesterday man city awaits and i had already liked it preempting the fact that we were going to draw man city away from home in the in the cup but yeah i mean it was it was nailed on um I, especially as the draw kept on going on and both our balls were still in bowl as not the hat anymore but you know it's another it's it's you know it's still the fa cup anything can happen we will probably get absolutely thumped but if there's anything and i've heard it might be one of the games that's going to be allowed to have rail seating again if that's something that some people might want to look forward to if they want to go up there so that's something to look forward to and 
and uh, maybe a better showing than yesterday. Yeah, I mean, and also let's not forget Manchester, a fantastic, beautiful city. You know, I could definitely be persuaded by a by a Saturday night up in Manchester. I've got a few friends up there. Jack, you normally travel with Fulham home and away. Will you be making the trip up? Yeah, I'll probably do it, but can't feel anything but frustrated with the draw. Um, but on the upside of it, the only thing I, thing I thought about it was this will be interesting to see now how a Marco Silva team will come set up against a, a team like Manchester City. It's not a, it's not a um, guarantee we'll be playing them next season in the Premier League, but if um, if we end up getting there, it'll be interesting to see what kind of system he uses, what kind of tactics he employs against the likes of Manchester City and Guardiola. So I came off the tube and I, and I saw the draw and I was feeling really frustrated about it. But, um, you know, it's, it's a test and, you know, it's, it's going to be a good day out. Yeah, it's a very valid point, actually, because you've got to think with the very congested fixture list that we already have in January. I think the draw is set to be played on the 4th of February or the 5th of February. You've got to think, do you play a pretty strong team and try and really go toe-to-toe with what is, you know, undeniably one of the best clubs in the country, if not Europe? If not, well, yeah, obviously. Or do you do you try and go toe-to-toe, play full-strength side, just try and cause an upset perhaps obviously a tactic slightly, or do you use this as an opportunity to give some developing players and some of our fringe players some, you know, real kind of blood your nose kind of experience and, and give them a chance to show themselves? Stephen, I mean, if of the two, if you were Marco Silva, which, which avenue would you go down? Oh, I think uh, without a shadow of a doubt, he should do a full strength squad. And I think it's going to be a really good insight into how our current squad is going to cope in the Premier League if we make it. So I think it's going to be a really good chance to see how certain players cope under the most immense amount of pressure you can under a Man City team. I was always absolutely gutted with the draw. I'm a bit of an old romantic and um, I love the FA Cup. And I think, you know, the opportunity to go to away days that you can't usually go to is brilliant. Um, so for me, Man City away was probably the worst possible draw we could have got. <laughs> Very Fulhamish. But hey, it's going to be a test like Jack says. A test I would have liked earlier on, uh, sorry, later on uh, in the cup run. But hey, here we are. And um, hopefully we won't get them on a Monday night and uh, we can, yeah, maybe go <laughs> a weekend up there. Yeah, too right, too right. So, Jack, before we move on from the from the draw, there were some quite tasty balls in that, excuse my, pardon my phrasing, but there were some quite, um, yeah, so tasty balls, should we say, in the in the draw. Which ones particularly caught your eye I was looking at Harrogate Town the potential Plymouth I've never been to there um, which one would you have liked to have seen yeah in, uh, in, a, in, a, in a game show style here's what you could have won what would you have what would you have liked just a new tick just somewhere different not a championship not a Premier League team at home or away Hartlepool away which Palace ended up getting at Sellers Park um, Kidderminster away Plymouth away as you said that that would have been it but Knowing our luck, it would have been well. I mean, knowing our luck, we got we got Man City away, and it's frustrating because <laughs> we played them in the League Cup in eighteen nineteen. We played in the FA Cup nineteen twenty, and here we are again. It's just yeah, it's actually really bothered me that one. Actually, I don't think that we've actually scored at the head Etihad since like two thousand eleven when Damien Duff scored or something like that. And we've we've obviously played them quite a number of times, like as Jack Jack says in the cup quite often and also in the, in the, uh, in the league. Yeah. It's just another one. Um, although if there's anything to go, if, if we want to, I think the last cup goal that we probably scored there was, um, uh, probably the best league up goal that people, some people have never really seen is Zoltan Gira's absolute wonder goal in, I think in 2009 or 2010. I remember you, that. If, yeah. If you can't, if you haven't seen it, Try and see if you can sniff it out. It's it's worth it. It's worth it. Let's talk about the Bristol City game yesterday. Farrell, I believe you've prepared some, well, not prepared, you've accumulated some three-word reviews that you'd like to share. Yeah, um, uh, there wasn't a huge amount. I think that's probably a, uh, a reflection of the general apathy for the game but there were some there were some as as usual some corkers in there some uh, uh james clay with robin that win uh pterodactyl similar with robin three points dan w uh with extra time crime which i quite liked jay sampson's bristolian from them and uh i really like matt wall's pre-season done with a 
with a with a nice little tick there as well, um, just for reflection. Um, but yeah, I think again, I think that my my favourite was the J- Jesen's Man City awaits because it was just the the it was beautiful. Man City awaits, yeah. Not not too bad, not too bad. So talking about the game, obviously a few of those three word reviews touched upon the um, slightly stale nature of the, especially the initial 90 minutes. Sammy James, our very own Sammy James tweeted, I'm sure there is still magic in the FA Cup, but it sure as hell isn't at Ashton Gate this afternoon. Uh, Stephen, you mentioned that you've got a soft spot for the FA Cup and I, I, I feel like all of us as football fans deep down have that. It's such an integral part of English, a British football as a whole but let's face it it wasn't the greatest of matches overall Fulham looked every bit a team that hasn't played for three weeks coming up to um, from Thailand <laughs> how did you feel watching it Was it, were you bored or this is from someone's perspective who has absolutely nothing else to do you're locked up in a hotel in Thailand and could you find any sort of silver linings from the game at all or was it just utterly dull Oh, well, George, I was shouting so loud, you probably heard me from where you are. Uh, it was so frustrating. <laughs> I find it really, really interesting because we look at this run of form that we've been on, and let's be honest, it's been absolutely awful. I don't know about you guys, but I've been really concerned with not only the results, but the performances, and actually not so much the defence. Defences have actually been pretty solid. It's the creativity going forward that concerns me. And you, we can't blame it on fixture congestion because, of course, we've managed to have a very uh, long rest period here. I was really hoping when we um, came up against Sheffield United that we were going to hit the ground running, uh, having had a little rest period before. And, of course, we all know that ended really badly. So I was hoping today that we were going to come straight off the blocks with high energy and really prove a point uh, that we could get back onto winning ways. Um, but for the first half an hour, I I just didn't know what to make of it. Bristol were uh, completely dominating us, uh, and um, it was it was a frustrating watch when you know the ability we have in our team. It was good to see uh, certain other players being blooded, like uh, you know Keena, when there's been rumours about him going back to Watford and, and seeing Muniz again. But overall, we just lacked creativity so much. Um, the middle part of the game was a lot better. But overall, I think Bristol probably had the edge over us and it was a frustrating afternoon. Absolutely. I think nobody who watched the game could deny that over the course of 90 minutes, Bristol City were the better team. And it wasn't until we brought on the cavalry, you know, the likes of Wilson, Cabano, Mitro, that until essentially we enforced our starting eleven to the point where we were essentially our strongest team. And I feel there was a lot of rotation going in. As you said, you mentioned, you know, the likes of uh, Shalaba coming in. We had, um, you know, Hector, Keener. I felt like this was a beautiful opportunity for those fringe players to demonstrate their worth and really put in a good shift and put in um, a solid performance that could potentially, you know, reignite their campaign to to be starting players. I thought Nat Shalaber had a fantastic game. I thought Michael Hector was very solid at centre-back, but the others I felt maybe I could have had a bit more from. Jack, how did you feel with the players that brought in? And do you think this potentially was a missed opportunity for certain players? I'm thinking um, the likes of Muniz, who I thought undoubtedly tried hard, but ultimately was a little bit kind of out-battled with the aerial duels. Do you think that it was an opportunity wasted for them to really putting a good claim to, you know, have their names there and then the starting eleven. I think, especially for someone like Chalaber, who actually, I agree with you, had a good game, he's going to be someone who actually is going to try and take the place of Jean-Michel Serri while he's at AFCON. But the eleven was strong, stronger than I thought it was going to be. Um, I, I thought Kina was very, very poor. Um, Carvalho didn't offer much and didn't look very exciting whatsoever. I thought our poorest player was Tyrese Francois, just kept giving the ball away in the middle of the park and looked out of place. Um, and for a guy who was knocking on the door of the first team in pre-season, um, albeit we, we didn't have many games, but we, we had that Charlton game where he played, thinking he might get into the team. And I think he did get into the team at some one point in the season. But yeah, he was really poor. And... Um, didn't really give me much confidence in any of those players stepping up. And that's a, that's a disappointment. I actually thought the game sort of played perfectly into our hands. And I'll tell you why, because 
the fact it went to extra time and we got these players on like Mitro, Cabano, Wilson meant that they got a little bit of match sharpness in their in their in their game for like what, half an hour. So when it comes to Reading and they're going to start the game against Reading, they're not going to be completely like deer in the headlights and feeling slightly weary from from no match sharpness. So that that was pleasing in that aspect. But I thought the game as a whole was very poor up until extra time where it started to open up a bit. Muniz did not make any sort of impression. But then we were sort of talking about this on the way home thinking he's only 20 years old. He's only about six or seven months older than Fabio Carvalho. We can't expect too much from him at this stage of his career. And yeah, and Chris Martin was just woeful as usual, as we as we expected when he was at Fulham, and you know he can't run to save his life. So that was quite funny to watch. But yeah, the game was drab, and and it was it was it was nice to be back to watching Fulham, but not at Ashton Gate on Saturday. Yeah, fair enough. Let's come on to uh, Dominguez Keener, and it was a very unusual, unexpected move to see him in the starting eleven, Farrell, after the news that his. Loans, uh, his loan from Watford is is going to be pulled um, prematurely. Um, c- c- can you try and work out any logic behind that decision? Well, wh- how why how can you justify his his start if he's if he's on his way back to Watford? It seems a very strange decision from Marco Silva. Well, I mean, maybe this is like last chance saloon for him. Um, you know, Marco Silva going. Well, I haven't had a chance really in such a long time to see him playing for the first team and have an opportunity. And he thought, well, before I make another snap decision, here's another opportunity for him and other players around him to to make an impression in the first team. I thought, I thought he he was okay, but okay at best. Um, he was a little bit wasteful. There was a couple of times he linked up very very well with Joe Bryan down the left hand side. I thought, and much like the the rest of the players, especially in the midfield, there was a lot there was a lot of effort, but they just they were just weren't at the pace of the game which is just obviously a testament to the match sharpness that they don't have. Let's be understanding here. Let's, this is our first game in three weeks, but for like people like Kina, this is their first game in like three months. And the same goes for Chalabar and the same goes for Tyrese Francois. What, what do we expect? You know, there's a t- we're playing up against a team that we're also not their full strength team by any stretch. Like Semenya was on the bench. Uh, who's obviously got a bright fruit future ahead of him, but he usually starts, for example. And yeah, like even with Muniz, yeah, he he he's obviously been in and out of the team, but he's only really. I don't think I think he's only started one game in the league so far, right? Uh, from from memory. So to even come into that, it's always going to be difficult. And he was definitely firmly shackled by by Atkinson, who obviously is up to the speed of competitive fo- competitive first team football. And also, this is a Bristol City team that then aren't also rounds in the league. You know, they're doing very well under Nigel Pearson. They run a bit of run of form at the moment. Um, so when, even if you're, you know, you're playing up against a team that are doing quite well in the league, who are up to speed, and you're playing up against a team that haven't played with a large proportion of team that haven't played in, in a long time, it's always going to be very, very difficult. I think, again, I've just got to reiterate what Jack says because I want to say it. Like, Chalobah was very good considering. All of those things considered, I thought he was very good. I thought he shielded the ball well. Um, he retained possession quite well. And he wasn't afraid just to sort of be more progressive with the ball and be a bit braver. Uh, sometimes it didn't come off, but a lot of times it did. And and fair play to him. So, and again, as as Jack says, I think the game was almost perfect for us. And I think, you know, when in the lead up to the lead up to that people weren't very inspired by this but I thought this game this FA Cup game couldn't have come at a better time for us after all the postponements you know I think yeah it does it still means something you know I definitely wanted to see us progress uh, in the FA Cup um, it's obviously not a disaster if, if we lose that game but it's perfect opportunity for the play, for all the players to get up to, to get up to speed I don't want to say risk-free because that that will night uh, give people nightmares but yeah, um, overall, after everything, you know, we were second best for a lot of the game. But would you expect? I'm very happy to come away that Fulham come away with a win. Too right. I, I, I 100% agree. Let's let's not lose sight. We came away with a win, and we we haven't won since November 20th. So you know, it's it's great to get back into those winning ways. And there's although it wasn't, you know, I, some people would argue that going into extra time isn't ideal, obviously, but. Given the circumstances, we haven't played for so long. It's it's a perfect opportunity for many players to get up to match fitness. And and let's not forget a, 
I thought Bristol City put in a, a solid performance. I thought their keeper, O'Leary, was fantastic. He made three or four very, very, very strong saves. I thought Wells for them caused all sorts of problems for us uh, behind the back line. And yeah, it was just, it, it was it was one of the, I think if you were to, if you were betting man or woman and I thought a draw in 90 minutes was probably the safest bet that you were going to make all season. It just, everything had played out for that. So yeah, in the 90 minutes, obviously, you know, it was nil-nil, but it was the substitutes that made the difference for for Fulham. And, um, and the goal, at the end of the day, the, the the man with the gnashes, Harry Wilson, with what was quite a nicely well worked move with Cabano from the from the corner. Um, it seems like a silly question, but Stephen, was it a shot or was it a cross? Oh, I mean, I think it was great. Um, I think it's a cross, but it's very intentionally on target. And I think crosses like that, you know, can so easily be tapped in, which is of course what the keeper was thinking. You know, covering his near post. Of course, then if no one gets the knock, it ends up in the back of the net. So I was so pleased to to see it going to the bottom corner. And I'm very happy to see Wilson swinging them in like that again. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it, it was great to see him get some minutes and it, it was sort of testament to how important he is to this side. It kind of reminded me of a goal that David Bentley scored against us for Spurs. Does, he, does anyone else remember that in the was- in the league? It was that White Hart Lane? Yeah, yeah, we yeah were, I do remember. I think yeah. it was two, maybe 2010 or 2011. And we were, I, I remember it so, so clearly because a lot of my friends are Tottenham fans and I was watching it with them. And it was one of those games that you're watching, you're like, I really fucking hope da- that we win this game. <laughs> <laughs> David Bentley was the ultimate hype signing for Spurs because he, he had done like okay for Blackburn and then scored like a really quick hat trick against like Arsenal or Man U or something. And then Spurs were like, do you know what? We're going to pay 30 million quid for this fella. <laughs> and obviously they signed him and he was like, oh, he's actually bang average. Uh, yeah, who who would you say was the ultimate hype signing that Fulham have ever made? All that 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 sounds like a Drew article coming up right there. <laughs> yeah, top five ever Fulham hype, hype signings. signings. <laughs> Who's the the strike? Petrich from Hamburg, right? Was it? It was Petrich, wasn't it? I think that that classifies as a hype signing because he scored that absolutely blinding free kick against us in the Europa League. Do you remember? And then we signed him. I think the season after that. So does it count as a hype signing if it's off a moment of brilliance? Oh, I, I think that's a bit of... I, I think it was actually a couple of seasons afterwards. Oh, it, was it? Not, it was not until like 2012 because he signed like a month before Dimitar Berbatov signed. He signed that year with like a couple of goals against Norwich and then he got like one or two more goals and then Berbatov came in and then he hardly got a sniff until, <laughs> until like, <laughs> until like Berb, you know, until a bit later on in the season. So he must have been raging, but that was like such a typical signing for that for that uh, for that era when oh, yeah. Alfred was obviously tapering off his investment, ready ready to sell the club up, and he was like, "Oh, here's an international side uh, Croatian striker in Miladin Petric, proven goal scorer, 32 years old. Boom, let's get him in." <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, from one striker to another, I just wanted to touch upon Muniz's contribution, and it, although it was quite a dull game, all in all, there were moments of entertainment, and one of which was. His obligatory bikey attempts. Jack, can you see one of these going in anytime soon? He's he's getting closer. He's had two. <laughs> one was blazed over. The second was not too far off, but still not really near on target. But he'll get there. Um, and one day he will score one, and it will hopefully be to clinch the title or to clinch promotion, and then everyone go will go bonkers. But look. I, I want to give this guy a, a lot of patience um, because Marco Silva obviously wanted to sign him since he came to the club. Obviously, see something in him. He just needs to adapt to the English game, and um, it doesn't help when you're behind the likes of Alexander Mitrovic in the pecking order. So um, I'm sure the boy will come good at some point, and if one of those bikies goes in, then uh, it will definitely uh, raise his stock. Definitely. Mm, you, you say it's obviously it's not an ideal situation being behind Mitrovic in the pecking order, but one could argue that what a fantastic mentor to have mm, and exactly. somebody to learn from. And you can you can tell the relationship that these guys have after Mourinho's got his brace against Blackburn, the embrace afterwards and the celebrations. And it, I, I absolutely love him. And you can tell that all of the squad are just so behind him. And there've been interviews and they've all said about how just fantastic his attitude is. The guy doesn't speak a jot of English, but he just fully you know tries his all and is 
so it seems invested in in the club and and love, just loves being here and it's so it's so wonderful to see a player who who so clearly is like happy to be at a club and you know is, everyone is egging him on and I, I've I, me and my mate Charlie have a we have a five pound bet every game that he's on the bench for Muniz to score and I feel like by the end of the season I may have lost a fair bit of money but I, I can't help feel like he is going to come good but then Fulham have this horrible curse where we, we've signed so many of these sort of exciting players from from South America and and you know a lot of other players and they just haven't ever come into fruition Stephen do you feel I mean I feel like he's got all the raw capabilities to become a very very exciting fun player for us but there's the there's the old Fulham graveyard of the likes of, of, of Syriac and, and Brian Ruiz and we, so many of these kind of like exciting signings that have just fallen by the wayside which camp do you feel Munoz will go down do you feel like he'll go on to become a, a kind of like a, an iconic player for us and and really banging the goals or do you feel like maybe talent's not quite there and he's destined to sort of fizzle out and and, and move on within the next couple of years if you if you had to place your bets where would you where would you say oh definitely um Fulham legend through and through yes in my head in my head I was like please let it be hype please let it be hype I want loads there's of hype there's so much hype um well okay look, there's so much to think about here that you know when I see Muniz yeah I see a young player full of energy He's got, you know, great physicality and I believe he's got the ability to put the ball in the back of the net. I think what he needs to learn is the, you know, the intelligence side of the game, the positioning and, and the English game. And that just takes time. I don't think you can just get that on the training field and then get up and go. So like you say, being underneath Mitrovic is absolutely brilliant. Uh, I feel like he's quite a similar player, except that he has, you know, a little bit more pace, which is quite nice when we're pressing. Uh, I do truly feel that he's going to come on really strong. Uh, like Jack says, I've got so much patience for him. This sounds a little bit uh, strange, but I don't actually think that a loan deal would be a bad shout for him. I think he needs game time to to really adapt. And whilst I don't think we have a strong enough backup for Mitrovic as it stands, I think the boy needs to be playing uh, as a starter for a either a lower championship side or a top kind of League One side. And I'd just love to see how he gets on with half a season of um, non-stop action, really. Uh, and I'd love to see him banging those goals and then coming back to Fulham, raring and ready to go. It's going to be very tricky if we make it to the Premier League, seeing him adapt uh, in, in those circumstances. Um, but yeah, nothing but positivity. And one of those bicycle kicks will go in. And when it does, it's going to be glorious. I can't wait. I've got to say, like... one. You know, when I was watching the game yesterday, obviously, like I said before, he wasn't up to the pace and he was getting his pocket picked so often. But I feel like he was always doing, at least trying the right things, similar to Mitrovic, like waiting for the opportunity to run back towards the defenders to pick it up and then play it off. It's just the defender was just a bit more switched on to it. Um, and when I say he's doing the right things, I mean consistently doing bicycle attempts. So that's, that's all right then. <laughs> yeah, like to add to that, like when, when I saw, I believe it was Derby when we drew 0-0, I think, uh, and he was starting the game over Mitrovic uh, due to the illness, I was really excited. He gives you that feeling of energy and optimism, doesn't he? So when I saw that lineup at the time, I was so excited. And then when I was, you know, a little bit of hype there from the Blackburn game that was quite uh, recently before that. But then on the day, I, I was, you know, seeing what we were like without Mitrovic. And I was like, wow, Some, sometimes he was trying ahead of the ball and not getting anywhere near it. And he, his positioning was a little bit all over the place. And that's when I realized, OK, you know, this guy isn't ready to, to be a starting striker in this Fulham team right now. But again, that's something that will come in time. And when it does, I think it's going to pay dividends for sure. George, do you remember, I was just trying to think of, um, you know, you're saying before about... Uh exciting players that have come from South America. And I was like, who was that random one we signed when we went down the first time? And I've just had to look it up and it was Tiago, Tiago Casasola, if you remember him. That was another, oh, yeah. another South American import that probably didn't hit the heights of uh, some of our other South American imports from, from years gone by. Muniz is the one. He's the one. He reminds me of, you know, uh, like a, a German shepherd puppy. Where you see them, and they're, they're moving. They're just the paws are slightly too big, and they're sort of clunky, and like they're full of energy, like so enthusiastic. But the coordination maybe is not quite there. But you know that it's going to be an absolute, you know, it's 
tanked. That that very clumsy analogy is how I feel about Muniz. We'll see. I, I love him and I'm definitely going to be getting a shirt with his name very soon. Before we move on to some questions that you, um, the listeners have kindly contributed from Instagram, I just wanted to touch on Kearney because I felt like his when he came on, his very spirited performance... I mean, it was one of the highlights of the game for me. I've I've never seen him battle so hard. I think he 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 got the he won the ball on the edge of the area, basically like barged the centre back over, and had a fan, had a shot that O'Leary managed to get a hand to. But I mean, real desire from Kearney to win this game. It was it was fantastic to see. Do you not agree, Jack? Yeah, no, it was good. You don't really see that sort of side to Kearney, that tenacious sort of side. He's always sort of like a. Uh, a flair player who kind of wants to pull off the, the good goal, the good pass. Um, but no, this was good to see. Um, and I think that's testament to the way Marco Silva sort of wants his midfielders to play. He's pushing up Reed higher. Um, he can play a three of like Seri, Chalabar and Reed like change up a little bit. But Kearney, I just, I like to see that from him because, you know, he was club captain and is he still club captain? I'm not sure. But um, he, he just... He needs that in his game because that's probably going to elevate him to a, another level. And um, he probably should have scored, not for that fantastic save. Um, he scored from a very similar angle when we beat Bristol City 2-0 back in 2017. He almost pulled it off again to make it 2-0. And yeah, I, I like that. And I think he's going to be very important for us for the next month, especially with Seri gone from uh, for African Cup of Nations. So looking forward to seeing TC play and hopefully he can add that a bit to his game. Farrell, do you think it could have been a reaction to seeing Dendog with the captain's armband, and it was it was him trying to fight tooth and nail to try and try to reclaim it back? Speaking of Fulham legends, big Dendog, big Dennis Adoy. Oh, I loved I loved seeing like, him as captain. Didn't I you? Love, that I, really put a smile on my face. I know. There's like when I've watched a couple of those videos that Fulham have done online, where they all get like they get the lads back together. And then they do like a bit of a Zoom call. I, I think they did a couple of them over over lockdown. And Dennis Adoy, like just sit, he's like kind of like a bit quiet. And while all the lads are like having a laugh and everything. And then he just chirps in with like a random story while everyone just sort of like sits and listens. And they're like, the story <laughs> sort of tails off. And then they go and talk about something completely, something completely different. I don't know, like he must have like such a unique place in the dressing room. But I love Dennis Adoy. I thought he played very well yesterday. I thought it was a very professional performance from him. He's always, he's he's just such a... I don't know how many appearances. He must have well over 100 appearances for Fulham now. When the team has been in such massive transition over this time, he continues just to keep fighting his way back into the team. What a guy. And, now he's, and, I, and he was captain yesterday. Right, on that note, we're going to move on from Bristol City with Manchester City away poor guy it, it gives me a headache even to think about it but we've got that in our sights we're going to do some questions from instagram and then we'll do a quick reading preview and then uh, yeah we'll take it from there i guess we'll be right back this is an advertisement for better help a portal for finding online therapy what's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day would you go for a run would you read more fulham transfer rumors well whatever it is one thing that many of us have in common is wishing that we had more time and therapy can be a place to help you work through what matters to you so you can have more time to do it therapy is great for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries it empowers you to be the very best version of yourself it's not just for those who experience major trauma and if that's something you're looking for that's where better help can come in better help is entirely online and designed to be convenient flexible and suited to your schedule they'll match you with a uk mental health professional with a wide variety of expertise there's no referral needed and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge giving you complete control over the whole experience and Fulhamish listeners can get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash Fulhamish that's better h-e-l-p.com slash Fulhamish to get 10% off your first month Welcome back. This is the Fulhamish podcast. I'm joined by the one and only, the wickedly talented Farrell Monk. <laughs> talented in saying, hello, friends. Stephen Shell Jake, live from Thailand. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks, guys. How are you doing? Good stuff. And Jack Kelly. Hello, everyone. Hello. Right. So thank you very much to everyone who got in touch. I was actually, I was overwhelmed by the amount of questions we got from Instagram. Some, you know, very, very good questions all in all. Uh, we're going to start off with this one because I like to kick off with on a positive note. And this one's for you, Jack Kelly. How good were the limbs? And that's from Luke Kiffy 32 Yesterday after Nashers scored with that 
cross slash shot. Yeah. How good were the limbs? This uh, this raised some debate on Twitter, um, spreading across the whole country with um, the picture that was almost Blackburn away version two. Um, well, from mine, they were fine. I mean, I, I wasn't too asked about it. I wasn't going to be falling over rows and seats. Um, but there seemed to be a, a cluster of Fulham fans who quite dangerously as well fell down all the rows, the, the row of stairs leading down to the concourse. Um, thankfully, I don't think anyone was hurt. And obviously a picture was grabbed at the time put on Twitter, which, like I said, caused some, some people to go, oh, that's class. And some people to go, oh, that's extremely forced. And um, look, I, I think I stand at this where you go, if you go to a game and you're a little bit drunk and you scored a goal, sometimes you with a lot of body weight um, from other people, you will probably fall over. Uh, and to say it's forced is like, yeah, I understand this whole limb culture and like, oh yeah, get a picture for Twitter. That'd be funny. But also like sometimes you can't help it. Like that, that one at Blackburn where I just ended up on the floor and I'm just smiling was generally because I ended up on the floor and I was happy that we scored. It was, there was no force about it, but um, some arguably people, the most iconic photograph. It was, it was funny. And that was a good away actually. But um, yesterday people were like, Oh, it's only the FA cup third round. Look, people are there to enjoy themselves. We haven't seen each other. We haven't seen each other since like before Christmas because we haven't played each other, uh, played Fulham haven't played. And if that's the way they celebrate, albeit accidental or not, just let them get on with it. It's not that deep. No one's going to get, well, if someone gets hurt, then obviously it's serious, but, I don't think it's 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 for people to comment, but that that is Twitter these days. Everyone likes to have an opinion. I did actually see someone. You say no one gets hurt. I saw someone at Luton. I was with um, Ben Jarms and Isabel. We were right, stood right at the front, and some kid after Mitrovic scored against Luton, didn't he? Went flying down the the centre stairs and smacked his head open. Oh jeez! Thankfully, he was all right, but he was streaming with blood. He'd obviously cut himself quite badly, and he had the St John's ambulance you know, came out and, and sorted him quite quickly. Thankfully, I don't. I think he avoided a hospital visit, but he would have a very sore head in the morning. That's for sure. Mm. But. I think you know if it, if it's organic and it's genuine, then then go for it. But you, you know you you got to have a courtesy rep for the people around you. Faz, what you, you wanted to say something about yeah. this? Yeah, uh, yeah. Like I I don't want to sound like the sort of like the fun police here, but you know we are getting. <laughs> but I Q, will sound like Q, the fun police. Cue fun police comment. <laughs> yeah, where's my siren at? But we, you know, as part of my sort of role on the trust, we are getting a lot of communications from people coming in saying all this kind of like limb stuff as, as it's now probably now called um, people are getting hurt. And I think we need to be, I think some people do need to be a bit more wary about the other people that are around going to games, especially with the running to the front. And we've done a lot, we've done a lot of work over the last few years to push the club to do those non-standing seats at the, at the front. And it obviously goes against what that, what people are doing if they're then at goal, which fine, celebrate. It's a goal. Fulham have scored. Brilliant. Fantastic. Um, you know, I'll, I'll certainly act like a bit of a bozo when that happens, but then rushing to the front where people are genuinely have gone there. They don't want to stand at games and they're totally entitled to everyone should be able to support the club. However, they, however they wish. And it becomes almost a danger. And we are getting more and more people coming to us and saying, I've been hurt at games now because there are people rushing into areas. People aren't going to their seats where they should be going. People are going into like more rows than they should be doing. And there's a wider discussion about stewarding and police and what, what people should be doing. But just be aware that just because you celebrate in a way that you like to, it doesn't mean that other people want to celebrate in that, in that way too. And there are people that go to games who can't physically stand and they choose to choose to go and go to the front because that's the only place that they can do to actually watch the game. Not necessarily they want to, they've probably spent most of their life going to away games and sitting towards the back or sitting towards the side. And they're now being forced away because they don't sell, they don't watch the game in the same way that you do. So yeah, just, it's just a general call just to sort of say, be aware that different fans watch the game in different ways. Yeah. I mean, you know, the ticket prices can cost an arm and a leg sometimes, but, you know, we don't let to be literal. Uh, I'm all for the limbs, though. I think, like anything in life, you know, live your best life and do your thing, but respect other people. Wave the arms around. Give the person next to you a hug if you know them. Try to. There are people that 
you, like you say, are less able to uh, like stand during the whole game. And I think you need to respect people's space. Um, you know, we want the atmosphere and we want the we want the crowd to have as much fun as possible. And and you know, FA Cup game or or league final, like people are traveling hours to get to that game. They've been waiting for that match all week. They've had a few drinks beforehand. It's not uh, ninety minutes. It's the entire day. And when it comes to extra time, you know, go ham. Like have a good time. I've never seen better limbs than when I was in Hamburg and the terracing was all standing. You could drink while watching the game. And it was just incredible. This, um, you know, waves of people with their flags and it looked really good. But, you know, they knew the rules and they, they had dedicated family sections that were separate and everyone knew what was going on. There wasn't any sort of trouble or, or injury. And that's because they were very respectful of people around them as well. Um, so, you know, maybe it's, it's this little thing in English culture that, where we go a little bit overboard. But, um, like I say, all for the limbs, but yeah, we should definitely be respectful of people's space and um, it's something that does need to make sure it's in hand, like Farrell says, without being too policing. Faz, football is so inherently in the moment and spontaneous in the celebrations. The second you put sanctions and say, well, you're only allowed to celebrate in this area, it kind of might detract from the, the fun of that spontaneity and that real in the moment. I guess from your position what would you argue is the solution to this to ensure that those that can't maybe you know stand and celebrate in the same way and the the people that do want to go absolutely nuts both i don't know what the solution is to be honest it's such a difficult question because like like everyone certainly in this room virtual room <laughs> um that I yeah I obviously go a bit I I, I, def, I definitely go overboard when I'm when I'm uh, I've seen you um, take your shirt off on multiple occasions <laughs> sometimes full of money even playing um, <laughs> and so yeah I think that I think ever since football came back there has been just a bit of a bit of a like a culture change within especially with the, just just with Fulham like it has changed a a little bit. I think people have been locked inside for so long and they finally get to go to football again. They're like, this could be our last chance to go to, you know, go to Bristol City or uh, Manchester or Reading on Tuesday. Hooray, the Madstad, we're back. So people are going to go a bit overboard. I, I certainly have done in the past few months. Um, the I, Like I said, I don't know what the solution is, but whatever that solution may end up being, it would need buy-in from everyone it would need a, a real sort of like culture not shift but tweak um to to make you know to to ensure that we have an atmosphere that is spontaneous and over the top and um and exciting because no one really wants to see when Mitrovic scores a last minute winner no one celebrating for sure yeah it's but this is kind of something that we've only just started discussing so you know how how we engage with lots of fans around this and what we what we find out what the solution is remains to be seen really mm, absolutely i mean i'm I'm sure it will, it will come up again on the on the pod but as far as i'm concerned as long as fulham are banging in goals and we have the opportunity for limbs then you know it's uh it's all and no one gets hurt it's all good it's all good so we move back to the game now so yeah, we didn't really touch upon Fabio's contribution in the in the first section of this podcast, but there was a question here from BC Cook saying, why has Carvalho been a shadow of his former self since Togate lacked spark recently? Do you think that could potentially have something to do with an incoming transfer? Jack, what do you reckon? Uh, it's uh, You know what? I, I don't like talking about contract situations because it's quite, it's quite boring, you know, because there's, there's so much talk when really no one really actually knows what's going on um i mean you you can I, contract fair enough but in terms of his performance right. and his recent performances they've not been up to the standard that we know he's capable of so i guess you know do you do you think that the contract that obviously we can't we can only speculate against but it, we can talk about his performances. He wasn't very good yesterday. The, the only performance that alarms me about Carvalho was yesterday's. And that's and again, you could just put that down to Matt Sharpness. I thought in, in recent games where he's come back into the team, he's actually played quite well and actually has been one of our only bright sparks, especially um, in transition. And I think that it's so much pressure to put on a young kid who is just basically he's at his first club he's making his first first team appearances albeit it was last season but now he's in the first team uh, and to you know the expectation you're going to have an off game and I genuinely feel like the only off game he had like I said was yesterday and I think when he plays 
alongside Cabano and he's got uh, Wilson to one side as well. He, uh, and, and the likes of Harry, Harrison Reed and um, Sarah behind him or Kearney, he will flourish. And I think that, I think that that's, that's good. And I think he's a good player. And maybe it was just, he didn't, he didn't get the link up. He, with Keener because he hasn't played with Keener. Bobby Reed on the other side, like it just didn't work out for him yesterday. Um, but yeah, he did get that toe injury and he was out for a while when he did have COVID. So, I mean, this is all a lot to have in your first real big breakthrough season. So to analyse every single performance ago, he's not pulling his weight is, is a little harsh, but um, I think I think he's got talent and that's why he's got so much interest elsewhere. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, looking ahead, well, we're already in January, in the depths of January, but this was an interesting question that came up a few times. So the first of which was from Fred Martin. I'm going to throw this one to you, Stephen. Why aren't we looking to sign a centre-back? Tosin is Prem proven, but Ream and others are not. And Daniel Massey also agrees with this comment, saying, do we need another centre-back in Jan to blood them in for the next season? <laughs> so, um... Yeah, what do you think, Stephen? We've we've not been linked to any, and we've actually um, Mawson has been has been linked to, with a move out. So we're actually looking to offload some. Do you do you think that it's a position that we should look to fortify over the January? Okay, so do we need another centre back between now and the end of the championship campaign? Definitely not. I think we have an abundance of options, and I'm actually a huge fan of Michael Hector, and um, it saddened me to see some of the kind of comments that have been made throughout the season about how he's just not good enough anymore. Because when he first joined us, I remember like halfway through the season, our championship promotion season just absolutely turned on its head. And, you know, we were, we were keeping so many clean sheets. We were so solid. And I, I still believe in that Michael Hector. And I really, really rate him. Now, whilst he doesn't quite have the footwork of Tim Ream um, on the ball, you know, I thought he was really solid yesterday. And if you look at, the results he's been involved in. I think we've only conceded one or maybe two goals for him at the back. Um, so I love Michael Hector. Uh, looking into the Premier League, yes, we definitely do need to sign reinforcements with you know Tim Ream being at the age that he is. Michael Michael Hector having the question marks in the Premier League, you know, from his performances last season. Tosin seems like uh, he gets away with a lot. I'll give you that, but I don't think you can drop Tosin because he offers so much. Physically, with his height, and he's still, you know, a great age. You know, I think Tosin's uh, real solid. Um, so, yeah, if we go up to Premier League, we need to sign a centre back. But I'm happy to wait until that point and then get the right man. Uh, we still have great a great defence, and that's not the issue at the moment. Like I mentioned earlier, I say right now the issue is creativity and refinding that spark and those lost goals and getting Mitro onto 46 goals in 46 games, hopefully or 45. <laughs> Yeah, too too right, too right. Um, so just staying on the subject of of transfers, Drew Malcolm came in with a fairly generic but very valid question. If you were Marco Silva, who would you look to get in and out this transfer window? Farrell, have you got any ideas on this omniscient question at the moment? Well, so I mean, the way that Fulham do their business, we're so open ended with who they decide to go for, and they keep their cards famously to their chest um i literally cannot uh, like give any sort of answers i don't think there's necessarily a position that we should be particularly targeting because again yeah we're in a we're in a good position to get promoted but as far as players coming in and players we potentially advertising our position to it's the you know to them looking at the table it's not guaranteed we're not we're not going to be able to uh, challenge for signatures of people who are looking to go to the Premier League straight away because we're still a championship club as of January the 9th. So, you know, trying to attract like better players to improve the squad is always going to be a challenge. I think that, I think the squad is, is definitely good enough. I think we, we saw it yesterday, if anything, the fact that again, we're a team that we were playing mostly a second string team, a team that four or five of the names haven't played in months. And yet for large parts, we were second best, but we're still competitive and we were able to bring on players who hadn't played in three weeks, but were so much better than the other team. And they're like seventh or eighth in the league. I can't remember where exactly. Um, but yeah, so, you know, if there's someone out there that will improve the team, I maybe they might go for another centre back, but I don't know. It's so difficult. It's so difficult to say who they might bring in. You know, we never thought that we were going to bring in 
Muniz, for example. We thought striker was probably off the cards in the summer, and then all of a sudden we go for an unknown Brazilian for nine million pounds. Um, when we already have Alexander Mitrovic and Kieran Bowie and Jay Stansfield in rate, waiting in the wings as well. So certainly, certainly not unknown, Farrell. I have you know that he's got more Instagram followers than QPR. Oh, well, that's not really surprising though. Uh, to be honest, <laughs> I know. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm being facetious. Sorry, carry on. With that. <laughs> no, I, I mean I'm just going to say, like, sorry. It's a, it's a good question, but I I cannot answer it with any sort of guile or guys or anything like that. Yeah, it's a bit of a tough one, isn't it? I'll, um, I, I can only apologise for for throwing you that hospital pass, but I guess none of us know until the thirty first of January, and then and then we'll see we'll see what happens. I guess. Um, I just wanted to touch on this because we didn't actually chat to his um, a chat about his performance in the in the Bristol City analysis. But Jack, this is from Seashore eighty four. Does Gaza's man of the match performance put him back in the first team? Now, I personally think we should stick with Rodak and stick with that you know, consistency and I don't think Rodak has done anything to deserve uh, deserve to lose his place. But Gaza had a fantastic game yesterday, did he not? Yeah, he was the man of the match um given by the club and we said it throughout the game. He's been our best player. Um but it doesn't necessarily mean we need to chop and change and and the continuity of the squad is much more important. Um and I think unless Rodak just drops a clanger or gets suspended, Gaza for now stays on the bench. Um and look, he had to pay the price for all those mistakes he made against, I think it was Coventry. And then Rodak came in and he hasn't looked back since. Um, this constant calling for changes of keepers just down to one, one-off performances needs to stop because it's just, if you've got a plan in place and Rodak knows how to play out from the back into the style that we want, there's no point in changing it just for the sake of it. Um I, I respect Gaz and I think he's a he's a top keeper, but for now, Rodak's our number one and it should stay that way. Yeah, no, I would have to agree. But I mean, what a privileged position to be in. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, that's... So, yeah, yeah it's, it's, a, it's a very positive point overall. Uh, Luke Bullshaw, who um, chats you regularly, he's, uh, he's very active on Instagram and he gets in touch a lot. He he asked, do you think we will miss John Mikel Seri over the next few weeks? Uh, I think generally that's uh, that's a given, given the, the quality of the player that we have there and how integral he's been to our midfield this season. I'm going to slightly rephrase this and throw this to you, Stephen. Who would you like to see flourish in his absence? And if you were Marco Silva, who would you be looking to bring in to, you know, um, essentially replace him in that, in that creative central midfield role? Mm, well, uh, for me, the answer seems quite obvious. Uh, I think Chalabar has shown so much uh, ability and potential in the games that he's played, thinking back to that Birmingham away fixture where he was just phenomenal. Uh, unfortunately, as much as I love Josh Onoma, I feel like he's really gone off the pace uh, over the the last year, year and a half. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing him leave for another club, but maybe we are a bit light with Seri going. We will miss Seri. Uh, I think he's a fantastic uh, player, brilliant on the ball. But I think it's a good time for Chalopa to get into the team. Maybe Reed plays a little bit deeper if that's required. And Tom Kearney, now is his time to shine. You know, we've we've been. It feels like we've been looking after him with his, you know, injury. Uh, he needs <laughs> he needs to be eased in, and um, I don't think he'll be doing ninety minutes game week in week out. But his his fitness seems to be good again. So I think, yeah, I'd like to see Kearney, Reed, and Chalaba having a go working together in this period and seeing how that works out because I think you've got a really good, you know, defensive force and Reed Chalabas really strong in the middle. And then Kearney, of course, is full of creativity. So I think you've got a nice balance there and I'm interested to see how that all pans out. Oh, likewise. It'll be fascinating to see what Marcus Silva does. But again, another position as a Fulham fan that you just have to hold your hands up and maybe agree with the not the top twenty podcast and say yeah, we are very privileged in that we 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 do have quite a uh, quite strength and depth, shall we say. So it'll be interesting to see how this one pans out. So I've, we've got two fun questions now that we're going to end this section with. The first one I'm going to chuck to you, Faz, because it's got your you written all over it. And then the second I'm going to throw to all of you. So the first is from A Hilsey Seven. If you could have, and I'm throwing this one to you, Farrell. If you could have one player back at Fulham who's not retired, who would it be? So. This is a player who is still currently playing in, you know, f- football. Once a Fulham player, and you can have him back. Who would you go for? Barry Hales. He's still playing. <laughs> Who's he playing for? Some. Um, uh, you know, he's playing for, 
No, he's playing for... He's player manager as well. Um, Merstham. That's it, Merstham. I think they're based in Surrey. Um, would, you have, would you have Barry back as a player manager role as well? Friend of the podcast as well. That's, that's, of that's, course. That's, 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 um, yeah, why not? Player coach. Player coach <laughs> alongside alongside Luis Belmorte. And then we can get, and then we can get Luis, Luis Sahar back as, as another coach. And then we'd have that front three as well. And then we'd have Jeff Horsfield running on Bring it, bring in the, uh, bring in the halftime oranges as well. We're getting the gang back, back together. together. <laughs> Did you see that beautiful post that Louisa Ha um, posted this evening? It really warmed the cockles of my heart, and I'm sure any 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 Fulham fan would agree. So if you're on Instagram, go to Louis, straight to Louisa Ha. It's his most recent post. He post a carousel of photos from you know his playing days at Fulham where he was he was adored. He was the first Fulham player that I like truly fell in love with him and Papa Booba Diop. And the caption is love my Fulham days, hashtag pure love. Felt so connected with the fans and club. Wanted to thank you as I didn't do it enough. I won't be who I am today. Like oh how amazing is Wonderful. it to, to, to hear it, that. It when it, when I saw it this morning it really buttered my croissants. <laughs> oh. Wow. Um you know yeah like I think it's so great to see a post like that because I remember in the Saha uh, era when he left, you know, there was a really, there was all the Judas banners and there was a real, uh, you know, negativity towards him leaving for Man United, which in hindsight, you know, of course he should have done it. It's a chance of a lifetime. I remember at the time there was that real kind of anger and, and negativity. So it's really nice that now that the years have gone by, he appreciates his time at the club and it feels like we really appreciate what he gave to us. I, I, I definitely was one of those like idiotic 16 year olds on the forums going, how dare he, how dare he leave us to go to Man United? Why would he do this to us? I don't want to ever see him ever again. And obviously that's embarrassingly wrong and naive on so many levels. I do apologize, Louis, if you ever read the forums. I'm sure I'm sure he's listening right now. So uh, that'll go on record fast. Last question here from Ollie Ivy. Jack, I'm going to throw this one to you, but I also want all of you to have a, have a little think. Which Fulham player would make the best lumberjack? Lumberjack? Oh, that's easy. As in a man who chops down, or woman who chops down trees. Current Fulham player? Mitrovic. Surely. It's pretty, yeah. I would, I would go for Mitchell. I think um, Tim Ream has the look of a lumberjack. Oh, you should have seen him get off the um, coach yesterday. He had all his hair down. It was, it was quite remarkable. Didn't have it. Did he look? Did he look like Thor? I only saw the back of him while I was sinking a pint of Fosters. But um, oh, but Tim Ream from the back with his hair. Yeah, down. that's it could, be, it could have been, could have been Gwyneth Paltrow. It could have. I, I would have <laughs> she would have done a job at centre back. I'm sure. Um, but yeah, that was. I'd say Mitro. Yeah. All right, any 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 raise on Mitro or are you unanimously deciding it's Mitrovic? I gravitated towards Reem on first instance. You know, he's had the captain's armband. I feel like he'd be good with an axe in his hand and he's got the experience to to chop a block of wood down. So um my my main man's Reem, but yeah, Mitrovic. I like the aggression he offers. Um so yes, yeah, good tactics all around there. <laughs> former player would that. former player would be Corley Woodrow. <laughs> <laughs> Corley Woodrow. Oh yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Yeah, very good. Well, well done, Faz. Well done, Faz. That was a pass. I, I was thinking I if we're it. going former player, um, Pascal Zubabula. Oh, yes. What the, that's a great shout. The, the Probably one of the, the scariest looking players we've ever oh, had. Oh, what was that beastly striker we had? Oh, God. Shakiri, not Shakiri. Um, oh, you know, Kuki. Shefty Kuchi. Shefty Kuchi, yeah. It's the second time his name has come up today as well. That's quite random. Yeah. <laughs> oh, also, Faz, if we're doing lumberjack puns, David Elm. Hey! <laughs> Unbelievable. Here we go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. On that note, we're going to call an end to this section. We're going to give you a quick reading preview, and then, yeah, that'll be it from this podcast. So we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. I'm joined by the one and only Jack Kelly. Hello, everyone. Stephen. Hello from Thailand. And Farrell Monk. <laughs> Hello from the kitchen table. Good stuff. So yeah, we've got Reading. Uh, this is a rescheduled match on Tuesday night. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the one thing more Fulhamish than drawing City away in the cup would be dropping points to a team who have most recently lost to the Kidderminster Harriers, mm. who are, let's not forget, in the sixth tier of English football. 
Reading currently sits 21st in the table. I mean, who knows with Fulham these days? You think that this should be a fairly routine victory for a club of our stature. I mean, Farrell, what are your general thoughts going into this game? I feel like Reading away is one that is kind of met with a lot of ridicule these days. People are like, oh God, Reading away as if it's such a chore. You know, it is a chore. And are, you, are you somebody who echoes that sentiment? I think it's just the disappointment that the fact it's so close geographically and yet takes so long to get there and home again. It's like, obviously, it doesn't, in the grand scheme of away days in general, it's not that long, but it should be so much quicker and it's not. Um, And there's nothing around there and it's difficult to get to uh, if you don't have a car. So I think all things considered, it's, it's, you know, it's not a great, great away day considering. So... But, you know, it's it's another championship game. They are not on a good run of form. I watched the last 20 minutes of their game against Derby County. And yet, I know Derby County are obviously languishing at the bottom of the table because of their point deduction. But Derby, as we know, quite recently, we didn't fare too great against them. It was a, you know, they Derby just defended very stoutly. They've been picking up lots of good results. They're now only 11 points off getting out of the relegation zone against uh, Reading and Derby scored two goals in injury time to draw against Reading. And that would have been an absolute sucker punch for them. So we're coming up against them probably at a really good time when they're really, really wounded. Very, very different from when we played them earlier on the season. I think it's the first team we've played now. We will be playing twice in the, in the league now. Um, I mean, it cast your mind back. There was Ijaria who got a cut, a brace that day and Fulham weren't really at the races. And I think it was just two quick fire goals, if memory serves. I can't, I can't really picture it. Uh, it the second goal was actually a pretty good one from Ijaria. Um, but yeah, I think this is one which we sh- really should be getting three points from. That's for sure. I don't want to hark back to, do you remember, do you remember when we were trying to aim for a promotion last, uh, last time around under park and we were like, draw, draw your away games, win your home games. I think considering now we're going for pretty much tops, you know, top two, we want to win. This is a game that we, we really should be winning. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I read, a, um, I read an article earlier today from I think it was the the red the local Reading press saying that yesterday was the moment that the fans really turned on Pornovic and uh, do you think this is a good time to be playing Reading or do you think it could potentially be a banana skin as Reading have so often been for us in the past let's not forget oh yeah don't get me started I've been to the Met- Jesse Stadium about eight times I think I've only seen us win once so with Reading it's difficult because they've had game time over the Christmas period um, and had that chance just to you know, continue their routine of games. And we've sort of just been sitting here waiting. And now we're actually playing a league game. I say all things considering, considered, the result against Kidderminster plays in our favour. The result where they drop two points very late on against Derby plays into our favour. And I mean, if we're really at the races, I reckon we could we could beat them by a very similar scoreline as to when we played them last time at the Majeski. We won 4-1. Um, I don't think Reading are particularly very good, hence their position in the table albeit a points deduction. Um, one of their key players, Halovich, went off injured yesterday. I'm not sure we've, if he'll be available for Tuesday, but that's a little boost for us. John Swift's been on the form of his life first two months of the season for for Reading. And obviously, Ajari has scored a couple of really good goals against us. And, and that's their threats, really. And of course, we haven't even mentioned Andy Carroll, who's going to be playing, I'm sure. That's going to be yeah. interesting. Um, yeah. Obviously, big target man in the, in the middle and someone we're going to have to... Uh, try and just nullify a lot. Uh, but Reading as a team, I'm not looking forward to this game whatsoever. I think going to the Madstad is one of the worst aways of all time. Uh, and with their little 13 and 14 year old sidemen section, they've got next to the away fans. It's not going to be a very fun outing unless we, we absolutely thrash them. Um, but as the game as a whole, I think we've got enough to beat them. And I think we could beat them convincingly. But you just never know. You stick a ball in the in the box and Andy Carroll gets his head on that any day of the week. So you never know where it's going to end up. It's one mm, they- it's one we need to win. And I'd like to win because Reading as a football club, I just, I just don't like them at all. I've never forgiven them for that playoff defeat that we yeah. had. Uh, I, I don't think I've ever... I Generally, if Fulham lose, 
you know, I'm obviously gutted, but I like to think I never really let it ruin my days to the fact where I'm sulking. Whereas after that game, I was just absolutely devastating. They had all their muggy supporters on the pitch invasion coming over to us. And I just, I, mm. I'm going on Tuesday and I would love nothing more to us to stick seven past them like we did against Blackburn. And I could just give some of it back. Yeah. <laughs> I've kept that in the back of my mind. Um, but yeah, I mean, you mentioned Andy Carroll, but let's not forget, they've got John Swift, has got eight goals this season. Um, Junior Hoytler, who who I learned whose real name is David. Um, I learned the other day, but he got obviously got two goals um, the other day. Derby. So there are people that, uh, Junior Hoytler always seems to have quite a good game against us, I seem to recall. I, uh, when he was at QPR, he was always somebody who, who seemed to cause us problems. So um, yeah, one to watch. But I think all in all, this is a, definitely a game that we should and let's face it, need to be winning if we can seriously consider ourselves as you know, title challengers. Um, but yeah, are, are you guys going? I know, Stephen, you're obviously um, you're in Thailand, but I mean, I mean, obviously, you'll you'll be out. You'll be out. <laughs> should, of, be, um, should be there, Stephen. <laughs> yeah, where where would you would you rather be? Uh, be, be gracing Bangkok or um, or a chilly January mid January Tuesday night game at the uh, Majestic Stadium if you had to take a pick. I mean, I will still be in my hotel, sadly. So of course, I'd much rather be at the Majestic, believe it or not. Um, it's probably more awkward to get there than it was for me traveling 16 hours to get here and filling out a million forms for Reading. I mean, all the signs say that we should beat them. And yet, you know, what happened last time? I'm not worried about Andy Carroll at all. I think he's just, uh, oh, I think he's past it now. And I, I feel like Tosin can handle his aerial abilities. Um, but, you know, I really hope we can just, we, I feel like we need to make a statement after the last five results we've had in the league. Uh, this cup win will boost the confidence, but I feel like we need to go on high energy uh, straight from the off and just teach them a lesson. I know it's easier said than done, but I would love to see that. And I hope you guys are there to experience that too. And it's a good 4-0 win or something like that. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll be there. Mm. I'll be there. Yeah, Witnessing Reading trying to play long ball to Andy Carroll and them not actually being set up to play long ball mm. as Andy Carroll tries to bulldoze Reem and Adarabayo, and then there's no one else to pick up the ball. Mm. And then his <laughs> knee crumbles like a Coke can. And I know, obviously, like I hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> Poppadom knees. But yeah, we'll see. Uh, Farrell, do you fancy organising another Fulhamish away day like you did so superbly for the Peterborough match for the Reading Tuesday night game? For the Reading Tuesday night. It's short, it's short. <laughs> uh, it's a it's a it's a short window, but perhaps maybe we can get a reservation at the KFC next door or something like that. <laughs> Too right, right. Let's call it call it there, call it a day there. Oh, before we forget, the last thing to do is name the pod. Faz, do you have a name for this pod? I think um obviously I've had to change my mind after the draw. Uh so I'm gonna have to go for I mean so this guy JXEZON, you need to get in touch with with us to let me know how that's actually pronounced. But um, uh, but we'll go with his. Uh, oh, there's uh, Man City awaits. Excellent stuff. Thank you so much for all of you who've managed to stick it out, despite the fact that it's not your usual king, Sammy James or Jack Collins. So if you have made it this far, I I, I thank you. You know, from the bottom of my heart, and I've been joined by the with the superb punditry of Mr. Farrell Monk. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Stephen Shell Jake. Thanks, George. Thanks, listeners. And Jack Kelly. Cheers, George. Thank you. Right, we'll see some of you on Tuesday night. Uh, we'll pop, pop up on Instagram if what pub we're drinking at if you want to come and uh, join us. It'll be good to see some of your faces. But yeah, have a great rest of your week and we'll see you very shortly at, at Reading. Take care. Come on, you whites. Bye.